It's kind of weird that I'm doing this in front of everyone. Okay, so Jessica, thank you for, where'd you go? Um, thanks for sharing your testimony. And, um, and I don't know if you guys caught it, but Jessica's mom came to faith in Christ, to saving faith in Christ um, in a season that uh, Jessica felt incredibly stretched and empty and helpless. And like there's nothing she could do to make anything better. Uh, really a season of pain and trial. And that's when the Lord moved in her family at a pretty desperate time, at a very desperate time. And so that's really encouraging. And that is really, that really segues into the message tonight because the disciples, the apostles um, found themselves in a similar situation where healing was, is this going through there? Okay, cool. Yeah, healing, healing was in, in need. People were sick and, and people were hungry and people had followed Jesus out to a point hoping that they would receive something from him. And the nature of what they wanted uh, varied. Uh, some came for a physical blessing and um, maybe some knew that uh, he was the Messiah even. And so it was a mixed multitude. And even among the disciples in Mark 6, uh, there's still a mixed multitude and varying degrees of faith, you know, like, I believe this about Jesus, but I'm not so sure about this, you know, like he can make water turn into wine, but I don't think he can make food appear out of a little bit of food, you know, and so you know, Jesus is always stretching our faith, and so I hope you kept your place in Mark 6, um, like a good Thursday night church goer would do, you would have had your thumb right there on the verse. Just kidding. Just ridiculous. So let's pray. Um, God, thank you for your word and for um, how faithful you are to just uh, fill us because we are we don't have anything that is worth giving to anybody on our own. Uh, God, I confess to you, I have no goodness. I have no good ideas about this passage that is just going to preach really well. I have nothing to say except for what your word says. So please help me to speak that and give me clarity to explain it in a way to give the sense of what it is saying, what your word is saying, and move me out of the way completely. Use my personal examples uh, or anything else only to shine light and to point toward uh, your word and what you want to accomplish in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I still don't know how I preach. Like I have a Bible and I have uh, an iPad. And so bear with me as I like fumble through new preacher stuff. I'm like, I might pull out my phone at some point because I got a verse on my notepad. So don't be distracted by all my craziness. Um, so are you in control of the slides? Is that how it works? Cool. Cause I'm like probably just going to preach from my slides as well for the most part. Um, so we need to set the context of Mark uh, 630. But before we do that, let's just read through the passage. It says, and the apostles gathered themselves in Mark 630 unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. 
And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran to ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And the day was now far spent, and his disciples came unto him, and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And he, or he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the, the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divide he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes, and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. And I just flipped my iPad page. So now I'm going to my paper Bible. Um, and they did all eat and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, and they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Okay, verse 45. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, where he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Okay, so now that we've read the passage, and this is something, raise your hand if your Bible study has gotten here and you guys have already had an incredible time. Sweet. Wasn't it awesome? It's like the best. And something that we talk about a lot in our Bible study is God doesn't really, like, my Bible didn't come with an audio book. Like, I know it's an app nowadays, but some guy named, like, James or something, or Bill that reads it. And so he is great, and he has an English accent. I think it's James McLowen or something like that. Amazing. Um, but this Bible didn't come with an audio Bible, really. And so, you know, when you're reading it, if you want to know what God is turning up the volume on, like what he's really trying to communicate, you look at how many times he repeats himself. Similarly to a, a good father who patiently says, uh, I don't know, pick up your toys, pick up your toys, pick up your, I told you, pick up your toys. <laughs> Hopefully he's not like angry too much. Um, but that, that is how a good father speaks to us is, uh, he repeats himself to add emphasis, and he doesn't have to be a yeller uh, per se, but um, he does repeat himself, and that's how you know that it's important. And this story appears in the Bible uh, four times in all four Gospels, 
And so we know that this, there's like really something here for us. And the Apostle Paul reminded the church to remember the words of Jesus Christ. Like they, they don't just go away since Paul wrote the rest, you know, and John and the other guys. We need to remember what Jesus said too. And so there's a lot of practical stuff about ministry capacity multiplication, you know, expanding your capacity for ministry, a lot of that kind of thing. And also a lot of how to give people spiritual food practically, like what does that look like? We learn that in this story of Jesus multiplying the bread and the fish. He multiplies the bread symbolizing life or sustenance, spiritual life. And um, if you want to eat healthy, you know, in the real world, like in the physical world, what do you do? You don't necessarily like balance fake food. You, you should just eat real food. And when you eat real food, you get real results. And that's probably why I'm so skinny. I've been eating like fake food my whole life. So like exhibit A, like don't eat fake food. And, but I just found out and I'm already 32. So like it's too late. So, um, but the, the farm boys, like my cousins, they thought they were like cowboys. They ate real food. And I remember one time I had warm goat milk. Have you ever had warm goat milk, Duncan? You've had goat milk, but it wasn't warm. It's really weird. It's a strange experience, but they're like, yeah, this is like real goat milk. And I was like, this is disgusting. I don't want to ever come back here. Even though we loved watching Indiana Jones together, that was the only thing, that and Jesus. Yeah, Indiana Jones and Jesus. Only things we had in common, but the goat milk. I wish I would have got it sooner. Now, Jesus, uh, spiritually, he said in John 6, 63, and by the way, John 6 is really, when you go home this week, you want to read John 6 and do your homework because that is the full exposition of this story when Christ himself preaches it. And, you know, I could just like forget everything I'm going to say about it and we could just read it and you might walk away with so much more. Uh, That's how I feel that that passage is so special, John, John chapter 6, because Jesus reveals that he is the bread of life. And he came down from heaven to give life unto men who otherwise, obviously, would all be dead. I think uh, probably goes without saying, we've just gone through a year of marked by death and illness and sickness. And, um, but we need life. We need sustenance. We need physical life. We need real food physically. Same thing is true spiritually. And so Jesus says, Uh, in this same context of bread multiplication, the words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. And I think I say that verse every time I preach because it's like my favorite verse in the Bible, other than a couple other ones, I guess. But um, so Mark 6, 30, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And so the apostles were sent by Christ to basically multiply his ministry and to kind of gather a following by his spirit, by him moving with them. uh, You know, they went out and they were able to perform miracles and something that marks the, the ministry of the Messiah from the scriptures. Whenever you read the old Testament, you find out in Isaiah 61, 
that God Messiah would be a miracle worker. And so uh, this is why when Jesus sends out his apostles, he makes sure that they are marked by the very miracles that Christ also could do. So that way they would be identified as his followers because nobody can do those things except something spiritual going on. So uh, it got people's attention and they were like, okay, we got to figure out if this Messiah guy is here. And this is precisely what we find uh, happening. And so next slide in verse 31. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And Mark uh, is a little bit understating the situation. Jesus had just discovered uh, that John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one that was baptizing in the wilderness, in the Jordan River, the one that pointed to Jesus Christ himself, he said, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And he, God used him, having prophesied him 700 years beforehand in Isaiah chapter 40, okay? And so in Isaiah chapter 40, it says that there would be a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. And, and then as you read Isaiah all the way through Isaiah 53, you find that the, the Messiah was, is going to be the Lamb of God, the very Lamb of God. And so in the book of John, we find that this story is taking place during Passover. Does anybody know what Passover was? And so there's, uh, so Israel was enslaved in Egypt. And God is gonna. God is a God of deliverance. He's coming down to deliver His people, and they were to kill a lamb and take the blood and put it on the post and on the doorway. And as the death angel came over Egypt to 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 slay every firstborn in Egypt, he would the death angel of the Lord would pass over the children of Israel, and nobody in an Israelite home would be killed. They'd be spared. They would have life. And so that is how, that's the last miracle in Egypt before God delivered his people through the blood of the lamb. That's cool. That gives me, that gives me chills when I think about it. I'm like, whoa. Okay. So, okay. So notice, so it's, it's at the time of Passover and it's at the time that John has lost his head. It's at a time where a lot of people are losing their heads as well. Um, like metaphorically they're like i'm sick like i need jesus and like where is he okay and so anyway so christ is the head he's the head of the church you can read about it in ephesians right and christ knows he knows who he is in god and he knows that he's god and so um jesus calls the disciples to come rest with him and that's ultimately where we find rest is with god with our creator right and so he thinks like a shepherd. Um, he thinks like a shepherd. He looks out on his flock and we got to know the state of our flocks. And something that we talk about in our group is like, guys, we got to rest. Like we cannot be running around like chickens with our heads cut off all the time. Like I got to minister here. I got to do this. <laughs> like, I don't know like what we're doing, but all that stuff, like, because then you're just like basically doing a dance, like what I just did, instead of actually doing any ministry. 
We got to take the real food that we receive and then apply it into real situations, but we've got to be present. We've got to have rest. That's just how we work. Did anybody not sleep last night? Perfect. Julie? Okay, you slept. So you still slept and you're functioning better than you would had you not slept at all, probably. So point proven. So we need sleep, y'all. So, uh, so he cares for his disciples and he's telling them, and he thinks like a shepherd, like y'all got to lay down in the green grass and like drink some water and eat, eat some stuff, eat some real food y'all. And then a uh, key point one, bam, <laughs> for the believer, uh, God's presence is the most restful place to be. And I mean, uh, when Jessica was sharing, I was like, yes, like, your testimony says that nobody can experience God for you. Like each one of us experiences God firsthand or not at all. I mean, you can see his hands and not his face if you're not careful. And so we want to make sure that we enter into his rest, into a relationship with Christ. So if you don't know that you've actually seen Christ's face, and what I mean by that, do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you've repented of your sin and and giving your heart to the Lord and understand that he loves you and that he's not holding anything that you did in your past against you. Um, but do you know that you've had a time where you've actually prayed to receive Christ, to ask him for forgiveness of your sins and, um, and then invite him into your heart? And then are you still resting with him now? So for the believers, you are, you're walking with the Lord. Are you taking time to rest with the Lord and sometimes life is so busy, you just got to fight for it, right? I mean, if it, if it calls for it, you just got to get out that guy on the audio Bible and be like, tell me what's up, audio Bible. Just like put it in your ear while you're walking down the street. Because going between classes, you know you just need the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when you're hungry, you just don't care. You'll just be like, <laughs> like, oh, did you see that? Like, I'm sorry. I was like so hungry. And so I've learned over the years that there's no shame in doing that. If you have to listen to the audio Bible in your car while you're going to your job interview or whatever, because you know you're trusting in the power of your flesh too much and you want to give it to the Lord, like just do that. Okay, so rest with Christ. Now Isaiah 40 uh, verse 31 says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Um, and so rest is really meant to renew our strength. Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is the purpose of rest? Like, it's not just an end into, of itself. Some, some use rest or sleep as an escape. You know, we can become depressed, and then we can think, I'll fix my problems by like forgetting that I'm exist by sleeping. And so it can be an, an escape, but biblical rest is really resting in the Lord and it's conscious. It is a full awareness of your creator's presence. And that brings you comfort. It brings you joy. It brings you strength. And it tells you that you can even work and have rest in the work because you know, it really is a cycle. Ju uh, Julie and I had a song, I'm changing the subject a little bit, but uh, you found it, I think. But 
Yeah, and then Lisa Cheadle sang it. But it was in the fields of the Lord, our work is rest. And um, I thought that was a cool line. In the fields of, of the Lord, our work is rest. And so with the Lord, he does this. It says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And so since there's purpose in our rest, and since God's Spirit is empowering us, even when we go to do God's work in ministry, he, he empowers that. And this story proves more than any story that I know of just how much Christ is really, if you're doing anything worth talking about, Christ is really one doing it through you, right? Like, this is like one of those things that's convicting to think about. I'm like, I don't remember the last time I was part of something like this. But really, if I, if I think about it more, I'm like, wow, I get to be here with you guys. And I see the rest of the Lord in this place and feel super privileged to, to even get to speak tonight. So a little bit on rest. Uh, we see it in Genesis 2.2. It says, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And so on to the next slide of uh, verse 32. So Mark 6, 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing. And again, you know, this is at a time Jesus has heard that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have said, now is a great time to flee to the desert. <laughs> like for fear of our lives, <laughs> but he didn't do that. He said, uh, let's get some rest, y'all. So, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities and outwent them and came together unto him. Outwent. That sounds like a running shoe brand. Like I picked up my outwents. Like, maybe not, but <laughs> have you ever been outwinted? Like a race? Yeah, yeah, it's shameful. Sad. Sorry, but um, no, so apparently these people were so excited that Jesus, you know, they're on the sea, and maybe um, the wind was contrary, as the wind is accustomed to doing against Christ and his disciples. The wind and the sea seem to like to cause problems for them. But these people just put on their outwinds, and they just went around the sea. They just ran. They're like, ha, <laughs> They're like making commercials on Instagram on the way, like, check it out. Um, we're going to see Jesus. Um, so Mark 6, 34, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And it, he began to teach them many things. And so what, what we see is compassion compels the Christian. I'm just going to make it practical right away. The, uh, compassion compels the Christian toward the lost because Christ's compassion con compelled him first and to be a Christian is to follow in his steps. So in other words, what I'm saying is this should be our heart and would to God that it, that it, that it would be our heart this week as we move forward in ministry, um, even in the midst of finals, that we can have open eyes enough to be moved, not just emotionally, by um, a compassionate thought, 
in our mind, but physically moved uh, toward the lost, toward those without hope, toward somebody that is, is crying out for help. Uh, to stand in the gap for them in prayer is another way we can apply this, to pray that it, we would be moved to real action, however the Lord is leading us. And so verse, uh, actually key point two, um, ignorance should break our hearts, but not our faith. And where I'm getting that is Christ was moved with compassion toward them. He was heartbroken for us, heartbroken for them back then. And he's heartbroken for the lost. And he sees the lost, he sees people as not having a shepherd. And this causes him to move into action. And um, this is uh, an example to us that we would do the same, that we would move uh, move into action and that we would be broken, but not just a broken spirit that, uh, you know, how sometimes you can be broke in a real broke way, like not that kind of broke. Sometimes you can be broke, broke, and there's like no hope at all. It's just like, I don't know, she broke, he broke, like they're just broke. <laughs> they don't talk to anybody. They deleted their Instagram. And why am I talking about Instagram so much? Hmm. It's not good. Um, but anyway, so it should um, break our hearts, but not our faith. And um, this is convicting to me when I see Christ moving in this way, because a lot of times uh, ignorance of Christ will also break my faith. So it's the wrong kind of broke. So what I want, what we want to trust Christ for together is for a kind of brokenness that says, this is an impossible situation. There's like 5,000 men here and they have wives and children and they're Jewish and not to draw in stereotypes, but I've been told by Jewish people, it's not uncommon for uh, Jewish people to have lots of children. And so some of you know, like uh, Catholic families make the same joke uh, often in traditional American Catholic homes. And I'm sure Baptists do, and everybody else does too. But probably they all had 12 children too, because they're Jewish, is what I'm trying to say. So there's a lot of people here. And so instead of breaking our faith, let it break our hearts. And Mark 6, 34, and think like a million internationals coming into the country every year. That is like, you think about it, like for real, that's super overwhelming. Um, I remember Andrew on at times talking about in faith how it would be uh, we need to trust God to have a Friends of Internationals on every college campus in America. And I'm praying for faith like that, like that sounds like God would have to do that. And so that's something we can have in the back of our mind and pray that prayer sometimes. There's not a prayer too big that God couldn't answer it. So Mark 6 34, and he began to teach them many things. Uh, this is because he sowed bountifully rather than sparingly. And there's a principle in scripture that scripture is like a seed and you can plant it and it'll grow. And so anybody grow plants recently? Like you put us, awesome. What'd you guys grow? So... For the people, uh, Brianna um, 
grew uh, corn, watermelon, basil, tomatoes, various things, some other things too. And, um, and then you expect whatever kind of seed it was that the fruit will, will come up and you'll have that. And so that's, that's how the word of God is. And the kind of seed that it is is spiritual life. So you sow it liberally and some some plants call for this on the package correct me if i'm wrong but some say just go ahead and sprinkle a few in there because maybe some of them won't grow so you want to you want to sprinkle them in bountifully and then um you'll reap something and that's how christ was when the people came he was like let me tell you uh this 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 and this and this and then he even though he's god he doesn't know what they're going to accept um, in terms, I mean, he knows, but as, as a man, he's teaching and he's letting the word of God, there's a sense he's just letting go and letting their free will take over is what I'm saying. So he's letting them choose, are they going to let the seed grow or not? Because they could, they could, you know, stifle it. And so Isaiah 55, 10 says, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it to bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And second Corinthians nine, six at the bottom of this slide, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So there's a principle of, of measuring how much you're sowing with reaping. And so if you're discouraged by the lack of fruit, it just means that you need to like crank up how, how many seeds you're throwing in or how much you're sowing spiritually. Are you getting into the word to take it as seed and, and cast it into the earth, you know? And so that is such a wonderful picture. So in verse 35, and when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past, kind of like this message. Like some of you are like, when are you going to be done? And the time is far past. Like, so time is described as being able to be spent, to pass away, to wear away. And um, John records this time as a time that Jesus lifted his eyes. And so the disciples' view of the situation at this point, it's been all day. Jesus is teaching. Um, Matthew tells us Jesus is healing. John tells us Jesus is healing. He's teaching and healing and they have no food and the day is far past. And some of the other, you know, it's, it's spent, it's passed by. Luke says to wear away, like as if it could be a garment. So it's been spent like money. It's passed by like it was a car that ran into a brick wall. That's really depressing. It's to wear away like your favorite running shoes, your favorite outwinds. Um, so time can wear away. And, uh, but this is a time as the disciples are looking down and they're more negative and more mopey like Eeyore. They're like, oh, it's really just worn. Jesus, the day is wearing on us and it has passed by and it is spent like we are spent too, probably. And, um, but then this is the time right before the evening. And it's at this time that Jesus lifts up his eyes. And the evening on the Jewish day is the beginning. 
So from, from the time the sun goes down, that's really just a new beginning. And so Jesus is lifting his eyes. The disciples are, are getting mopey and sad. And so perspective um, is everything and how to get Christ's perspective, spend time with him, look where Christ's eyes are looking. And you do that by reading his word, by reading his Bible and praying every day. And you'll grow. The evening, so we find about the evening that it's a new beginning, as I've said. Uh, we find that out in the fifth book of the Bible, or the fifth verse of the Bible. Already, Jesus wants you to know, hey, when it's starting to look dark, that just means maybe a new beginning is around the corner. Now, it's at Christ's word because things could have really gone downhill. I mean, Christ could have said like anything and made his disciples like make bread and like make ovens and like go out and like harvest in like another city or something. Um, but because Christ is a miracle worker and because they're with him and resting with him, God is about to do something great. And so this shows us a key in keeping encouraged in the work. Keep your eyes on what Jesus has his eyes on, on eternal things. You know, there's different kinds of blessings in life. And if we have our eyes in the wrong way on the wrong kind of blessings, we will get those results. They will be temporal and at times will lead to, to sorrow or even death. But when we have our eyes focused on the eternal things that Christ is pleased about, um, in Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 3, when we set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth, um, that's when Christ is pleased in us. That's when we sense the power of God. We actually get to utilize the power of God in us for ministry. And so this is how to stay encouraged in the work is to keep our eyes on what Christ is, is putting his eyes on. And so what we, what we call spent passed by, worn away, Christ brings light to revealing the truth. The situation is whatever our Lord reckons it to be. Ultimately, he decides what the situation is going to be. A lot of times we pretend like we know how good or bad a situation is going to get before it happens. Uh, like, like when I had a gun pulled on my back and I thought, oh, I'm a dead man, but I was wrong because I'm still here. And, um, but I knew in my head he was going to, because he told me he was going to pull the trigger, and I believed him, but he was a liar. Anyway, I hope he's okay. Uh, Mark 6, 36 through 37 says, Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And so Jesus has them account. He tells them to go and see. And this is like not any work at all. It's just counting. And what, what they do is they find another, they find a kid or there's a lad. How old is a lad? Does anybody know? Sounds like a kid. I should have studied that. Uh, I think he's a kid, but I'm probably wrong. So they found a lad, and the lad had five loaves of bread and two fishes. And so this is not, again, this is not much work, but it is accounting. And in order to get vision for the situation that you're in in ministry, 
and, and figuring out what you're going to do next, you really have to take an accounting. You have to be aware of what you're working with, um, primarily with the word of God, the spirit of God. But then look at the gifts that God has given you. Um, what is God confirming to you that are your gifts? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Well, yeah, what are your weaknesses in a way? But how can you grow in everything? You know, Christ doesn't like gift us weaknesses and he's not like, you're just going to have to like suffer. Like he's going to use everything that you've got. And so you have to take an accounting of what it is you do have. And the disciples find that the answer for moving forward in ministry is with the weak and with the small. It's with this young lad. John 6, 9, there's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And so the disciples, they're, they're proven in this time. And sometimes Christ does this. He asks us a question that is kind of impossible to prove us. And it's to show us what's in our heart. This is a gift to the disciples. The point that the ministry got in over their head and the finals were hard and he was like, listen, I'll give you a quiz, a pop quiz right here. Like, how are we going to get this done? And they're like, it's impossible. It is literally impossible. And, uh, but 1 Corinthians 127 says, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So Christ is like, no problem. Exodus 4, 1 through 4, again, back to the beginning of the word of God. Moses finds that it's his staff, it's his rod that, that God would use. And God had Moses set that rod down, it turned into a snake, and then God told him, pick it back up, use that. You know, because to the skeptic, they're going to see the bread, or they're going to see the rod, and they're going to assume there's some gimmick about what you're doing. And because God is love, he gives every man and woman a perfect choice in a way that only he can do. And so he does it in a way that some people are going to say, like, I don't know, he's got some electricity in the rod or in the bread. And it's like, it's a gimmick. Like, don't follow those guys. They got the rabbit in the hat trick thing and they're cult. And so that's why they're so submitted, you know, and so kind because they've been brainwashed and well, we have been brainwashed by the word of God. So, amen. So what are we going to say? But we're not a cult. So anyway, so Mark six thirty nine, and he commanded them to make all sit down and they had to make them sit down because nobody likes sitting down because everybody wants to work all the time especially in our culture, right? But even back then, there was a lot going on on this particular day, and everybody wanted to, to stand up. But he had them sit down by companies upon the green grass, and they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties, because God is a God of order, right? And so he wants to orderly disseminate life. He's going to do this in a way that everybody can be helped, and everywhere that the word of God has gone, things have improved. I don't know if you guys have studied this, but there's a great book called The Book That Made Your World. It's written by an Indian. It's written from an Eastern perspective about how everywhere the Bible has gone, 
uh, people have been liberated. Women have been liberated. Uh, racial issues have been torn down and people have become one in Christ. And that's really beautiful to me. Like, I love that. So it makes them all sit down. They divide them into 50s, not to divide, but to make sure they can disseminate uh, what is coming to them, which is life, okay? And so there's some order. So Mark 6, 41, and when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And now this miracle is in contrast to a miracle back in the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. When Elijah called down fire from heaven to consume companies of 50, 50 men, three times, like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. So, but now Jesus is here and he's the bread of life and he's bringing bread from heaven to give spiritual life to companies of 50. Isn't that a cool contrast? Um, so the law brought the judgment of God, but Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law, brought life. I think I wrote it wrong here, but it should say fulfillment of the law brought life. John chapter 1 for reference. Um, John 6, 33, when Christ himself is preaching about the bread of life and revealing to the people why this miracle, like why are you doing this miracle, Jesus? He says in John 6, 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And as you continue reading in John, he makes very clear that he's talking about faith, the words that I speak unto you, their spirit and their life. And he's inviting them to believe his word. And so you got to read the whole chapter of John 6. Otherwise, you might read it and you may think that a wafer can save you. And so make sure you read the whole chapter of John chapter 6 and get really what God is saying in this passage, that it's about our faith. John 6, 44 through 46, these are the last two verses, and then we'll divide out to um, catch up, pray um, about things God has spoken to us about and lift each other up in that way. Um, so 44 says, and they did eat of the loaves. They that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Key point three, rest in believing prayer. It's kind of like a key command, I guess. But that's how I find rest. It's how you find rest because Hebrews... 3.18 says, so rest in believing prayer. Key point three. Hebrews 3.18, and to whom swear he that should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. Hebrews 4.11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. And so if there's anything that we need to do, to get to a point of rest, it's 
simple faith decision in your, in your head and in your heart um, that you need to make about who Christ is in your life. So John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is, guys, this is huge. Like, I think out of all the verses that we've looked at, at tonight, as Jesus is, is preaching why he's doing the what, why he's doing the bread thing. Um, here's the key. John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. That's what it really comes down to. That's really for a believer or for someone who's never believed in your life. That's what it comes down to is to cease from your own works and to trust Christ for his work. Trust him that when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he meant it. And he gave up the ghost. Christ died and, uh, he resurrected on the third day, and the Bible says that all that believe that and have uh, invited Christ into their heart by faith have eternal life. And so that uh, is a huge gift and something, um, if you're feeling cold or um, restless, just go back to that. Just go back to the cross and just rest in the cross. Rest there knowing that he he did that for you, but that he didn't stay in the grave. He resurrected by his own power. So key point four, because God is both lovingly personal and infinite, true rest has measureless purpose. True rest has measureless purpose. You can never find the end of it. Key point four, because God is both lovingly personal and infinite, true rest you could add in him, true rest in him has measureless purpose. I was just trying to make it shorter. So, but true, that that's awesome. Cause like at the beginning we were talking about how in the world, when we rest, sometimes it's an escape, but not here, not only, even if it were an escape for a while, even if, even if we retreated um, to find escape in Christ, in Christ, um, we actually have purpose behind our rest. And Isaiah uh, 9, 6 through 7 declares to us a prophecy, which is partly yet to be fulfilled. So go to Isaiah chapter 9. Six through seven, which may just be the uh, theme verse of the Bible. I don't know. It might be. Um, so Isaiah 9, 6 says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his judgment to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Um, the Bible uh, comes to us and we find that there's a tree in the garden. Uh, there's a sun that's created at the beginning. And we see the Bible ends with this, this tree 
and that at the end we don't need the sun and because the lamb is the light of heaven and so we kind of come full circle but the bible is really all about the sun and about at the end of the day we get to rest with him no matter how trying the season is in your life even now you get to rest with christ so um i pray that if you're in a situation that you've never put your faith in Christ, that you uh, will talk to one of your friends that invited you tonight to make sure that you go home knowing that you have a relationship with Christ. And then if you're already walking with the Lord and after this whole semester, we've done a lot of things together. The ministry has been good. It's been fruitful. People have heard the word and are making um, their own personal decisions regarding Christ. So praise God for all the work that you guys did, that we did together. Um, there's a season to rest. And so if you're a believer that just doesn't know how to rest and how to let go of the ministry and let others behind you take up some of that ministry, you know, Christ is a great example of that. He was willing to make space for his disciples to take the ministry. And he didn't have to be the only one attracting, you know, he threw his disciples out there like bait and he gave them miracles and God was working in their life so that ultimately people would be drawn back to Christ. And that's how God uses us today. Um, not as apostles, of course, because there was only a few of them a couple thousand years ago, but um, as believers, that's what Christ is doing in our lives. And he's working in your lives in ways that are showing the lost just how powerful he is and how he can really take impossible situations. And because of his power, he can, he can do something of eternal worth with it. And so, yeah, hopefully at, in this story, many people came to realize that Jesus was the Messiah. And, um, but for the disciples, we found out in our Bible study as we moved on that the disciples really didn't, didn't get it. And um, they didn't get that, that Christ had, had all power and that he was, he's God in the flesh. I mean, when the sea was boisterous in the very next story, they're, they're already questioning. And so um, let's in that way, not be like the disciples and let's, um, let's, let's believe God that he is able. Um, so I'm going to pray real quick and then we're going to divide out and thank you guys for bearing uh, with me throughout this entire message. It's 8.43, so we have 15 minutes. God, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Um, this story is amazing, and we didn't really uh, get to a lot of it at all. I mean, even what's in your word. And so, God, I pray that, you know, everybody, as they continue to read it, would continue to be edified, encouraged, and that God, as a group together, um, as you said, ye, ye yourselves, come ye yourselves apart to rest. That we as a group and us individually will, will, will come into that rest personally with you. And that we'd also be able to share that fellowship of like, yeah, I know Jesus like that too. And that that would be restful for us, God. Um, Please set us free tonight from lies that we've been believing about how to get rest. And God, just make it, make it simple, make it plain for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.